It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Welcome back for part two with Cody Sanchez, where we're diving into the gateway to success and her recipe for turning boring companies into a financial empire. It's an incredible example of a simple idea well executed that you'll be able to deploy in your own life. Everyone has to learn how to break free of small thinking if you want to achieve outsized success. And that's what part two with Cody Sanchez is all about. That is, you know, when I think about why people fail, it's two things. They either lack clarity or they don't want it badly enough. Yeah. And if you don't yeah. want it badly enough, because here's the reality. So the promise of this episode is that you you really can lift the curtain up, get um, so knowledgeable that you can generate wealth and not be controlled by other people. But it takes a lot. Like you really have to get good at something that is extraordinarily multifaceted. Like it's really multifaceted. There are a lot of different things you're going to have to come to understand and it's going to take an egregious amount of time and you are really going to have to want it because life is going to kick you in the face. The way that I explain entrepreneurship to people, and I'll be curious to see if this resonates with your experience is it's like being kicked in the face and you're choking to death on your own blood and teeth and you're gasping for air and everything is riding on this moment and you're in extreme pain, extreme pain. And the thing that's hardest, because it isn't the pain, it's knowing that if you quit, all the pain goes away. It stops instantly. Your teeth snap back into place. There's no more blood. It's instantly okay. And in the back of your mind, that little thing is just fucking with you. Like, hey, you could coast. You could be one of those B players and you could just get by and let somebody else cover it and all will be well. And you won't control your destiny. But for most people, that's okay. Yep. And I I don't know how to feel about that. I weep for them, but I maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm so distrust yourself, right? Part of my whole thesis. I definitely distrust my own assessment. Yeah. But I remember when at Quest, so to your point, we had hired all these ex-convicts and some of them turned their lives around and some of them didn't. And I just couldn't fathom how you're given this opportunity to rise up, to make money. We're growing so fast. Whatever job you can get yourself prepared for, you can have. We had one guy go from, so he, he came, it's funny. Uh, he started working at Quest as a front for his drug money, which he admitted to me later. And he said, you know, it just ended up being such a great opportunity. And you seem to care so much about me that I decided that I was going to go straight. And he just learned and learned and learned. And 
ended up going from minimum wage line worker to making over a hundred thousand dollars in like, it's like nine months or something. I mean, it's just ridiculously fast because he just kept being the right person for the job and just getting promoted, promoted, promoted. And at the same time, that same guy got in a fist fight with somebody who said, you've changed because you're reading. And I thought, wait a second, that guy is so mad about somebody wanting something and striving for it, that instead of being inspired and going, okay, I want that pressure. I want to turn into a diamond. He got so angry. It was such a challenge to his identity that he threw punches at this guy who was one of his best friends. I made him tell me that story like eight times because I was like, wait, what? I'm like, you actually got into a physical altercation. Yes, Tom. He (laughs) threw a punch at you. Yes, Tom. I was like, what the fuck world do you? I was like, that is absurd. Like, you've got to get away from people like that. And that was really when I realized, and let's see how angry I can make people, but I believe this with all sincerity. I have dedicated my life to this problem. So people need to think about that before they get too pissed. Poverty is not a money problem. It's a mindset problem. People stop themselves before they begin. They don't think, oh, I can go get better at this thing, but I'm going to have to want it. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating when we lived in what I'll call the, you know, it was the hood in DC, basically. What I found fascinating is Chris had just come back from the Middle East. So he was at war uh, during that, which means you have hypervigilance. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's very aware of his surroundings. Wow. Super, super tight at all times. Um, we made friends with our neighborhood drug dealer. As um, you do. As one does. And, uh, and what was interesting is I understood something then that I had never understood before, which is that the, the stress level of living at the poverty level or even being surrounded by it. We weren't at a poverty level. I was actually doing really well. We just happened to buy a house in a place that we didn't really think about that much. Mm. And uh, it was one of our second homes. So we were like, oh, this is a cool street that was actually surrounded in DC by not cool streets. And, And what was fascinating to me is I felt this stress, basically. I felt the stress of what it must feel like to live in that every single day. And mm-hmm. there's a young woman who lived across the street from us. Um, most of the families around us had like four generations living in one, you know, townhouse. And um, and so she would come over uh, when she found out that we went to college because she thought that was really cool and that we had been on an airplane, which was crazy. And um, And so we would talk to her about, you know, what could she go to college? Couldn't we apply for some grants like, you know, Howard University, um, you know, they have an amazing grant program. And, uh, and anything, anyway, one thing I thought was fascinating is she, to your point, uh, hid it from her family. So she had like cousins and brothers. That she wanted to go to college? Yeah. And then she was talking to us. So we would talk to her when her family wasn't around. But when her family was around, she'd just kind of look at us down the street because they would all look at us. And mm. so like the lines were never to be crossed. And so I do think there is a real thing about crabs in the bucket. And, you know, my realization was different, not so dramatic. But I realized, listen, the people who love you now, your family, uh, they love you as you are. They don't love the new you that you're going to be. It's just scary for them. They think they're going to lose you. They think you'll think you're better than them. They think you might realize that. Uh, their their failures, all their projections and insecurities come out. So that's what we would talk to her about. Would be like, listen, you know, this is 
something you probably can't change in your family. You probably can't explain it away to them. And the only thing you can do is you can live your life at in actions that show them that it's possible and that you won't leave them behind. And hopefully if you do that, they'll come along with you. But if they won't, then you will have to leave them behind. But I had never felt before the stress and pressure to conform and the stress and pressure to also not engage with people that were bettering themselves. And uh, and I, I'll never forget that because like in the Hispanic community that I was in, that wasn't a thing, really. It was, we don't want you to move away. Like, could we stay close as a family? And that is a limiting factor in some ways. But it wasn't, don't become something else entirely. Thank God. Yeah. So that's something that I at least didn't have to have to shoulder as a burden. Mm. But that is everywhere. Yeah. Did you have to change your identity? In fact, I will ask, the community had a question for you. And that was, what was the the shift that you made that had the biggest impact towards your success? Mm. Um, I think the biggest shift, the biggest shift for me, period, end of story, was finding others who already had the life that I wanted to live and trying to engage with them more often. That was it. It was, I actually think that money might be contagious and that if you are around people who have it, the exact opposite of everything we think happens or we're told as a society, like rich people don't care. Rich people aren't giving. You know, the rich people only want X, Y, and Z. I found that to be the total opposite of true, especially when you're young and especially if you're hungry. Rich people love to be told how smart they are. They love to tell their stories. And oftentimes they love to be the enabler. We all think that like, oh, we're smart. I got to figure it out. Let me tell you my sage advice that I've learned from all of this face kicking fucking awful pain. Let me make it mean something. And so I got around any human I could who had a life that I wanted, like cool business, you know, healthy bodies, big bank accounts. And I just started trying to learn from them. And the first way I did that is I was assistant to the wealthiest woman that I knew in Arcadia at the time. And I took her dry cleaning and laundry. And I drove her Hummers one time. I drove her Hummer actually, and I ran it into the garage. And I I didn't tell her about it for like 10 years. And I paid her back later. How awful is that? So like, you know, I did people's bitch work because I wanted to be around them. So smart. Enough. And you know what those guys, they ended up giving me a million dollars into one of my first investments. Whoa. So that was like 15 years later. He took one of one of the first uh, risks on me that I'll never, wow. never forget. Yeah. This is why it drives me crazy. Kids today. What's the matter with kids today? <laughs> this is how we uh, know we're getting old yeah, I know. and jaded. She says, I'm much older than you, my dear. So uh, yeah. Uh, but the thing that drives me crazy is that people will freak out at the thought of working for free. And I'm right. like, bro, listen. Money spends once. Knowledge monetizes forever. That's a great line. So I all day I would work for some if they have knowledge that I want all day, I would work for them for free. And I would work until my little fingers bled. Like I want the knowledge because I know what I can do with it. Man, somebody can shortcut your learning curve. Also, I'm somebody that grew up without the internet. So for me, like the thought of the the fact that you put all this information out. Same. And people can just like learn how you buy business is crazy town. Oh, yeah. Or Ray Dalio's book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would pay so much money to go join Warren Buffett's masterclass. Yeah. <laughs> like, Correct. Like 
un- unparalleled amounts of money. But, you know, it's a really good point because I work for free all the time right now. Actually, mm-hmm. one of my little moves that I like to do is um, I don't think I've ever talked about this. So um, when I find somebody that I think is interesting and um, they are in a position of power that's more than me. I try to think about what's one thing that I could give them for free. What does free work today? Cody Sanchez, as is, I'm pretty successful. I have some money. I uh, put together, for instance, I met um, Vivek Ramaswamy, right? Mm. So I met him at a conference. I thought he had some interesting ideas. Uh, I was like, huh. Was he already running for president? He was already running for president. And stuff I agree with him, some stuff I don't. But um, he was backstage room that I was at and he was running around. I couldn't really get to him, but I saw one of his like lackeys with him. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so I was like, huh. And so I just really quick was like, God, what would I know that Vivek wouldn't know? I'm like, well, he already has lots of money. He's definitely built biz- biz- big businesses. I was like, oh, social media. I know a thing about that. So I go on his social media real quick. I'm like, yeah, it's not that good. So I go over to uh, this woman. I'm like, hey, by the way, I'm Cody. Nice to meet you. I'm like one of the speakers here too. Oh, you're with Vivek. Great. I'm like, oh, husband, former Navy SEAL. You know, now you have to pay attention to us. And um, and then I started talking to her. I'm like, man, you're social. Like, here's what I would do different. Here's a couple things that I don't think are that great, whatever. I'm like, listen, let me send you, like, give me your email. Let me send you a quick analysis of what I would do for your mm-hmm. social. So we end up doing that. I put together this whole, like, one page. It's a big brief. Probably took me five hours to put together. Whoa. And on the brief is all the stuff I would change on his social and why. And uh, And then I had a member of my team do some analysis, too. We shot it over. Next thing you know, Vivek's reaching out. Now we're kind of buds. We go out and do his podcast. We meet him in person. Great. And I was like, huh, that worked once. And so then I did the same thing for this other guy, Sri, who's a big investor at Andreessen Horowitz. Sure. Right? Yeah. Okay. So Sri reaches out to me and uh, and gets me involved in this creator group that he has. Oh, right. The one that we're in. And um, And I looked up his background. I'm like, huh, always wanted to like meet Elon. Maybe one day. We could make that happen. Sri, Sri knows Elon. Now, I've never mentioned this to Sri, but I'm like, huh, let me put together a whole thing, an analysis for Sri. And I did it for his content and I did it for his podcast, shit that I would do different. And I sent it to him. I didn't ask for a thing. I don't want anything from him. Right. But maybe one day they'll remember one that. Day, right? I may come to you. <laughs> exactly. It's good. <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> My favor's not big enough, though. I need like a suitcase full of cash. But like, why would I stop doing that now? Why would I stop doing free work now? No, no reason. I, I do not understand people's reaction to that. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Well, and, and also the fact that the government tells you not to do it usually tells me that it's probably a good thing to do. Yeah. Oof. You know? Oof. Yeah. Brutal. All right. I want to walk through you, how you go about actually buying one of these businesses. Yeah. This is like the most genius, cool thing ever for people that either they want to they really want a side hustle or whatever, but they're going to yeah. go do something dumb. It's going to be drop shipping on a product they don't believe in. They don't give a shit. Uh, it's not profitable already. They're going to lose a ton of fucking money. Yep. So uh, the first time I heard you walk through this, I was like, oh my God, this is very impressive. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into the weeds. How let's do you do, do it? it? Okay, let's start with real boring businesses. So this is like the 1.0 version. First, I would say, do me a solid. There's a blog post on there called like 20 ways to fuck up doing a deal. So before you buy a business, please read that. Um, because buy pro- a one Miss Cody Sanchez. Yes. Nice. Oh yeah. Okay. At contrarian thinking. Um, so why I want you to read that first is because the problem with investing or buying anything is there's risk always. And so I'm very honest with people about the fact this is not 
you know, E-Trade where I tell you to do this thing and you're right. obviously going to make a million dollars. Like there's risk and it takes work. Now, if you can understand that, read those things. The next step I would say is basically this, that all around us right now today, there's something like 11 to 12 million small businesses in the US that are up for sale. If you go in a room with entrepreneurs, you could try this at any time. It's kind of fun and go a bunch of entrepreneurs who are like growth minded like we are and maybe even still in growth stage. And you go, how many of you would sell your business at the right price in the right terms? At least 60% of the room, their hands are going to go up. You go in a room with people who are 60 years and older, 90% of the hands in the room go up. Most people will sell their business and they have already done what you said, which is stacked skills and are ready for the next transition. Mm. Most people are, which is fascinating. So if you believe those two things, 11 to 12 million small businesses for sale, most small business owners not even listed are interested in selling, Mm. then you realize that there is, it would be like if you were on a street in the US and you looked at 12 houses for sale. 10 to 11 of them, I'm sorry, 12 houses on a street, 10 to 11 of them are for sale. That's crazy. All around us are businesses that are open to being bought and most businesses will not sell within a year. And the reason I know this is because we have data on thousands and thousands and thousands of acquisitions. And most- How do you collect that data? Well, we have, we get a hundred million views a month across our social media. (laughs) Well, you guys do a lot more. Um, We do a hundred million views a month. And we have thousands of members of our community that are all interested in business buying and they submit deals every single week. So we get like, I can't even tell you how many deals submitted a week. What we need to do is what you're doing. We need to, to add tech to it going forward. That's this, that's what like keeps me up at night is thinking about all the shit we're doing wrong. Um, you too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> face bunch, face bunch. Yeah. Um, so um, all these small businesses are for sale. The, the part that's interesting about this is that most of these small businesses sell from anywhere from two to six X the profit, right? So if a small business makes $100,000 a year, it's worth anywhere from 200 to $600,000. Broad generalization, but mostly t- true. Now, most people think, well, I don't have $200 to $600,000, so just ignore Cody. The interesting part about that is 60% of small businesses are sold using what's called seller financing, right? So I make $100,000 a year in profit. I'm the business owner. Nobody wants to buy my business because 11 of the 12 houses on the street are also up for sale or 11 of the 12 other businesses on the street are also up for sale. So I need to make my business look more attractive. Because of that, I am going to offer seller financing, which means instead of you having to give me the money or go to a bank, I'm going to say, I make 100K a year in profit. You need to pay me 300,000 for my business. Why don't you pay me 300,000 over five years so that you can take from the $100,000 profit the payment you're going to give me across five years. You can keep some profit yourself. I can take some profit off the table and uh, I can exit my business. And so when I realized this was the case, I was like, wait a second, why don't I just buy some of these? They're already profitable. They're already up and running. I don't have to take debt on the business. I maybe don't even have to personal guarantee it, which you would, which is what you would do if you had the government give you a loan, the SBA. Um, I can just work direct with the seller. And so that's what I talk to people about all day, because here's the problem. And if you don't believe me, go to Google, go to Google right now and type in Japan's business selling crisis all over Japan. They are giving away businesses for free or the businesses are shutting down. And that's happening right now in the U.S. to the tune where now all the time you're going to if you go, you know, ideas, I feel like are like um, 
they're like the flu. It's like once you like somebody sneezes on you, you like get it and it spreads all over your body. You know, and I think you, now that I've said this, you'll notice people are talking about born businesses. Mm -hmm. People are talking about M&A now. It's becoming the thing. But two You've years made ago, it a thing. I think we did, yeah, which was cool. Would, very fair. At 100 million views a month. Yeah, I would say you Thanks. can lay claim to that. I do. I do get excited when I see people, you know, on Twitter, like using my exact tweets for it. I'm like, I see you. <laughs> I know. I know we did that first. Um and so uh, this is happening all over the place. And I, the reason that I care about this, why would I go yell about this on the internet? Why don't I just buy all these businesses? One, mm -hmm. I can't buy them all. Um, two, these businesses are small, so they're super hard to aggregate. What I actually need to have happen is I need a bunch of people to go buy up these businesses and turn the onesie twosies into twosies and fivesies mm -hmm. where they combine them. And then once they're at twosies, fivesies, tensies, I can buy the bigger ones. But we actually need a groundswell movement of humans buying these businesses. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Walmart, Walgreens, the big companies are going to own all of them, just like they're doing with single family homes, except on steroids. And uh, I don't like that idea. I mean, you... I've seen this from traveling all over the country. There was a period when I was in private equity where I was traveling every single week. I was on like three different planes a week in three different cities. You hit the million mile club, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, That's bananas. I was all over the place. And I started to realize, God, Topeka looks just like Milwaukee looks mm -hmm. just like because they're all strip malls. Like that sucks. Uh, nobody wants strip malls with commercial uh, conglomerates. Like, we want the little mom and pop stores. So my mission is like, Listen, you can buy these businesses, you can use seller financing to do it, not always, but like, let's just ease you in with this idea that that could be the case. And these businesses are not rocket science to run. They are painful. There's hard work there for sure. But you don't have to be a genius to do it. In fact, your community might need you to do it. And they're all around you. So instead of going and like trying to drop ship a bunch of fucking nonsense, you know, talk to some of your local business owners around you and see if you might be able to even instead of coming and working for us, even go talk to your local hardware store owner who's probably looking like he's going to retire in the next 10 years, become a mentee of his and start talking to him about, hey, would you be interested in potentially letting somebody like me buy this business as you transition out? And I think that could happen all around the country. And in fact, I, I think it already is happening. And I think we got three to three to five to 10 years of this before maybe 20 years at the high end before buying a business is as commoditized and normalized as buying real estate. That's interesting. I, yeah, I would not be surprised if that happens on the lower end of that time scale. Yeah. As AI starts to match people up. And because yeah, I know, uh, was it in Japan that somebody's already made a billion dollar business just off of linking yeah, people up? Yeah, it's like Sakshuma. I can't remember his full name, but mm. yes, it's exactly, it's a glorified business brokerage. Yeah. That's all it is. And like we were, we're trying to build some stuff around that in the same vein here. So we'll see if we're able to accomplish it. Interesting. Um, but that, like my mission, my acquisitions used to be laundromats and car washes. And now that I've sort of seen the matrix and with our giant ecosystem, I'm like we should own the entire satellite ecosystem to SMB acquisition. Interesting. That would be amazing. I mean, that's certainly smart in terms of broadening out, which speaks to a quote, one of your mentors, friends, somebody said, Hey, do you think doing all this small stuff is making you think too small? Tell me yeah. about that. Bill Perkins, you know him? Died yes. zero. I know of him. I don't know yeah. him personally. You would like him. He's also a hardo. Yeah. He, uh, we're walking. So Bill reached out to me. We invest in a company together, a company called SkyFi, really cool company. And, um, 
so I met him. I was on a little panel and I think I was given my song and dance. And afterwards he came up to me and he's like, lovely to meet you. I want to talk to you again later. Okay, cool. Didn't know anything about him. So I went home and read his book and read more about him. It's like interesting dude. So we exchanged contact information and he invited me out to his house in Austin, which is this beautiful compound. Um, and uh, I remember, first of all, I was late and seems to be a trend of mine. And I was panicked. I like to be late and panic about That's being good. late. Yeah, it's yeah, a nice it's, place to start. Yeah, it's great. So how I like to start off conversations. And so, um, so anyway, so I'm panicked. Uh, we get there. I'm like, Bill, I'm so sorry. You know, we'll cut the meeting short. Like I'll be in and out. And he's like, take it easy. He's like, I'm here for you. I'm here for this. And I was like, still, I know you got a busy day. And he's like, you're the day. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, talk to me about what you're doing. So I tell him about, you know, we're buying this, we're doing this, we're building this. And he's like, it's really interesting. He's like, I think you have a uh, generational wealth opportunity here. And I was like, me too. You know, we're trying to figure it out. And I tell him my plans and he looks at me about halfway through and goes, can I just stop you for a second? I'm like, sure, of course. And he's like, uh, do you think you have been investing in small business for so long? Small has infected your thinking. And I was like, uh, I don't know. What do you mean? And he sort of, he gave me the advice that I didn't know that I needed, which was, man, Cody, you're thinking like a millionaire, somebody that has that many zeros would think. And here's what it looks like to think like a billionaire. And I, I didn't know I needed that push, but it was another example of, I don't really know how to learn, except I get around other people who have more than I do. And I just see how they think. And then it opens up this whole aperture. It's like almost before, like these cameras over here, you know, they start out really tiny in me for money. And then the more people I can see when I see what you guys have and what you all have built, I'm like, oh, wait, there's another level to this game. I kind of thought I was doing it. And that stuck with me and, and still does. He texts me all the time too. He's like, how we doing? And, you know, he's just like my little stress, my little stress text every once in a while. That's cool. Lisa and I say the same thing. There's levels to this shit. Yeah. We, it was so funny. The, the world or the universe has a way of, of letting you know where you're really at. Yeah. So we bought this house and I'm not joking. Like three days later, we get invited to P Diddy's 50th birthday party. First of all, and, that's cool. Right. Was he cool? Uh, we didn't get to spend any time with him okay. because we were invited by somebody that, uh, I think, yeah, she worked with him at the time. Amazing lady. She's been on Lisa's show a couple of times. Um, and so we go and he has a 22, I think million dollar piece of art hanging in like the foyer. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like I know where I'm at. Just when I thought I was the man, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Three days later. Yeah. That's incredible. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, that's why you have to be so careful about what money is and what money isn't because there is always somebody. Like when I think about the gap in wealth between me and Elon Musk, it's actually hysterical. Hysterical. Like it, for him, my, my entire net worth is a rounding error. It's like, it's just too funny. So, but it's good. It keeps you from taking this kind of stuff too seriously. Dude, it's so it's good. Well, especially I think at our, like at a certain level after you've, well, I was actually talking to Andrew Wilkinson about this. I don't know if you know him. Anyway, he's, he's a cool guy. He runs a company called Tiny Capital. It's actually a really smart thesis. He buys venture companies. So old venture companies that raise too much capital are never going to read reach expectations mm. for pennies on the dollar. Oh. So we bought like Girl Boss from Sofia Amorosa. Yes. And they had raised a bunch of venture funding 
the company was never going to be a venture scale business. Mm. So he recapitalized the whole business, basically told all the investors, like, you're going to get pennies on the dollars for this, but you'll get something and you'll exit. Mm. And so he's had a really successful history of doing that. Smart dude. And Canadians are very nice. And uh, anyway, so he and I were talking and um, we were like, you know, I think there was that study that said um, there's no additional happiness found after $100,000 made. And I didn't believe that. 100,000? 100,000. That's what the- $100,000. Uh-huh. These we are can lies. We can source this. So, so that was, uh, you know, everybody quoted it all over the internet. After $100,000, no happiness made. Mm-hmm. Then somebody went and re, like, replicated the study and basically found all these, er- all these errors yep. in the study. And was like, it's actually, it might even have been $70,000, seventy to $100,000. Yeah, I think the original was $72,000. 70. Oh, there you go. Right. And I remember thinking, uh, We didn't what? believe it either. No. Right. And so then they redid it and it was like, what, $250,000 or something like that. Don't know. I never heard about the redo. There's a redo. And so I went through and was thinking about this and I was like, huh. Definitely, I was happier after I made 100K. I think I was happier at about 250K. But I actually think like material happiness, for me at least, after 500K, I was like, hard for me. Now, a house and nice vacations. Like, I'm not really into a closed cars types Mm, of things. But after 500K, if you take out the fact that you can buy nicer houses and you can go on a little bit nicer vacations... But not. I don't even really want to take that expensive of vacations. So let's maybe just say even house, like not that much material change in in happiness. And what I thought was interesting then is then it stops at least for me becoming about money. It's like probably with five hundred k I could live per year. Can easily. I can I pitch you on something? Yeah, tell me. Okay, so first of all, you and I agree on the exact number. Yeah. So oh, my team has asked me, yeah. when did you feel rich? Yeah. And I said, you'll feel rich when you make $500,000 a year. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that break point, but that's the first time we are like, if you didn't grow up with money. So yeah. for me, I did not. So when I hit 500,000, I was like, oh word, yeah. I'm rich. Yeah. And that was awesome. Same. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to 
make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply now i will say that your your early thesis that money is power is so right yeah. that there's basically no time where you won't think i wish i was a little more powerful 100% so and when pe- this makes me mad we all have a thing where we redline you said one of yours earlier fuck i forget what it was um but my redline is where people are like how could you even spend all that money oh yeah what <laughs> like i could i'm not kidding i could spend 100 million dollars on a long weekend intelligently yeah buy a business well i was gonna do you know say how easy it would be wait though I'm you like, could do bro. it if you couldn't spend it on business things okay do you know how much a video game costs a triple a game do you know how much um grand theft auto 6 is the one that's about to come out you know how much it cost no to make right yeah no but if you can't spend it on business it can't stuff, be any business it can't thing. be anything oh, okay. related to personal um i could i mean yeah so private travel alone is ungodly expensive yeah. and amazing i never do it yeah because every time it's like i i just everything becomes an employee to me yeah so i'm like wait for a round trip ticket on a private plane first any even like to go to miami and back yeah. it's going to be like 500 grand yeah oh, sorry 100 grand so grand. i'm like 10K uh, an hour, right? for a hundred thousand dollars that's an employee that's a good employee yeah and i get to work with them all year i could have a meaningful relationship we might build more so i just can't do it yeah uh, but yeah, I could spend, I could spend a lot of money with, and I'm not a, I mean, look, I have a fancy house. I'll be the first yeah. to admit, but I'm not like an extravagant guy. No. If you saw my car, it's from 2012. 
It was a little fancy in 2012. I've had a rat's nest, literal rat's nest in the engine twice. Uh, so yeah, I'm not, I don't have any fancy watches. My shoes cost $40. Like I'm not that guy. Uh, so, but even then, like there are, so you're taking away my one thing. I know that's but, the thing. Cause that's mine too. Yeah. I could spend it has to facilitate hundreds something. of millions of dollars on business. Will you, if I said that I was going to create mm-hmm. charter schools, yeah, does that count as business? Yeah. Okay. It's like, it would have to research. Be- yeah, I think that all, all is right. Business. Once you take all that, if I just have to piss it away and it's like Brewster's millions, yeah. then that's such an old reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do it yeah. well. But. But, but I do think that is a red line for me. How could you spend all this money in the idea that I think when people say that, what they're saying is rich people, you don't need your money. And so let us help you and yeah, let you're us a flawed de- person for it. pursuing this gross thing called money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just think is ridiculous because what's the alternative? You put it in the hands of the people who have never earned a dime and don't actually know how to distribute it at all because they're politicians. Yeah, but so here is let's play devil's advocate. Okay. So the one of the problems with money is minus irresponsible money printing, yeah. which is rampant. So yeah. I get why people don't think of it this way. But money is a zero sum game. If you don't print more, so let's talk about Bitcoin for a second. Bitcoin is a zero sum game, not in a bad way. I want people to understand that's what makes it good. Yeah. It's called hard money. We're going to derail. Anyway, when there's a finite amount of something, somebody really can win it all. And now you're in a hard spot. So people see because they don't understand net worth versus money in your bank, which is the big fucking problem. No matter how many times I say it, people still don't get it. Yeah. But they think. Oh, wait, there's only whatever $2 trillion that exists. It's not true at all, but whatever. They have a number in their head and they're like, uh, Elon Musk has 160 billion. Like where's, where's the rest of it. And they think somebody else is poor because he has that money because they don't understand how economics work. Now, look, neither do I economics is insanely complicated, but I understand it well enough to know that's not accurate. Uh, but yeah, people do not understand money and it creates all kinds of weird beliefs. Those weird beliefs keep them poor. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think you need to understand at a base level the difference between money and wealth. And so, you know, for instance, you can create there's zero sum games would be like um, hedge fund trading or stock market trading. I categorically am going to sell a stock because I think it's going down and I hope it does because otherwise I'll be kind of pissed if I sold it at that level, mm-hmm. right? And in order for me to win, somebody else has to lose because you had to buy it at a point where it's going down, right? Zero-sum game, stocks. That's, I think, what people think of when they think of money. When I think about wealth, though, I think about I have a house and the house is a shack. It's just almost a teardown. But I work to rebuild that house. And the house that I rebuild then becomes worth more than it was before. Was anybody harmed or was any cash taken away from anybody in the creation of that house? Absolutely not. That's the difference between wealth and money. And so I think people get confused with money. Like in order for my business to sell more, I have to take money away from Tom's business. That's what they think about. But they don't realize there's this whole there's this whole bucket over here that is just no, there's entropy that happens continuously in the world around us. And wealth is just the manipulation of entropy to be uh creation instead or betterment instead it's probably a better word there but at least that's how i think about it mm. 
Yeah, I think thinking about it as a zero-sum game is a wrong way to think about yeah. it. You want to be thinking about, I've created something of value that people would, they want that thing more than they want their money. Yeah. And some people are just better at bringing that kind of value to people. So um, Jeff Bezos is such a great example. And I'm so sad that people think negatively of him. Yeah. Like he gave us the era where you can want something and like eight hours later it's have wild. it, like it's bananas. And so I am so grateful for that. And because I'm old enough to realize that's like a modern mirror did not used to be that way. You used to have to wait six weeks, six weeks. That's not me being hyperbolic. If you wanted to get something in the mail and the fact that they can get it to you the same day in some cases is truly a modern miracle. It's unbelievable. Uh, He's driven the cost of goods down. He's negotiated on our behalf. I've been a product maker and seller who's hated him for how they negotiate with people that create products. But as a consumer, it's awesome. So yeah, I don't, uh, I grew up in the eighties. So for me, it was like, you wanted to strive to be more and to make money and to get rich. And so I used to tell anybody who would listen when I was a kid, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. Interesting. Now I had no idea what it was going to take, but because I believed it was possible, I just kept running forward, oftentimes falling on my face, but I just kept running forward. It's one of those, like, it's very cheesy and I don't believe in manifesting at all, but If you believe you can, you will act in accordance with that. If you believe you can't, you will act in accordance with that. So it's not, you're not convincing the universe to give you something. You're just doing the thing you needed to do to actually make that come true, which, spoiler alert, is going and acquiring skills. That's so true. Yeah, Dan Sullivan Sullivan, uh, from Strategic Coach said something cool that I really liked. Um, I realized that not a lot, like if you're the type of person that feels you need motivation. You need inspiration. You can't get through your day. Like hearing all the tactical stuff is really difficult for you to then get motivated to do the right thing. Dan Dan Sullivan has this incredible framework that was so simple for me that I really liked at a time when I didn't want to work that hard. And it was um, basically he said something like, uh, every single day, I want you at the end of the day to write down your three wins. Three wins at all that you had from the day. And then I want you to write down three wins that you will have tomorrow. And not like a big, the type of win you and I would write, like I'm going to close a million dollars tomorrow, but like an achievable win that you know you are probably going to hit tomorrow. And then I want you to do that every single day for 30 days. And what I thought was interesting about that is because we are so often in the, you know, the gap of like, I haven't achieved this. I haven't done this. This other person is doing this. I'm not good enough. That immediately puts you in what he calls the gain, which is no, here are these three things that I already did. I'm already a winner. Because sometimes you need proof that you are on the right path forward. And I find this with working out, for instance. I'm not, um, I'm so business motivated that I just will work nonstop. And for me to want to get to like the six pack level of working out is hard, actually. I'll always stay healthy and fit, but to get to that next level of fit, I have to put in some work. You know, you don't get a six pack by accident. It's, Are you going to do it? Oh yeah, I'm You're doing gonna it. You're going to go all the way. I'm going to go all the way. Mm-hmm. All right. I know, but in order, it's hard to, for guys. It's even harder for oh, women. I know. You're going to have to want that shit. I know. Well, and in order to do it, I have to put. I have to say, what am I willing to sacrifice? Yep. I have to put some money on the table because otherwise, I won't do it. I need interesting. To, I need to find somebody who uh, has already done it, who I can steal their ten thousand hours. I have to track it, uh, and I have to make movement on it every single day. And then what I realized is I was like, oh, God, I'm kind of weak. I'm kind of weak-minded in this workout thing because my why isn't big enough or I don't know what. And so the three wins each day started to help me 
because I was feeling like I'm like tracking. There's 47 things I'm tracking. It's just more stuff to do. And I couldn't get motivated. And so um, I think even for people like me, at least, and I don't know about you, there are things that I still have to trick my mind into doing frequently. Oh, you mean everything? Not everything. I, I have but, to trick you know, you myself do. into so many things. Interesting. I just have rules and procedures and yeah. like ways to build desire and how to focus. It's yeah. Left to my own devices. I am extraordinarily lazy. Yeah. I am not driven at all. Uh, it's, it's really bad. I had to overcome a lot and it was only shame that allowed me to get going in the first place. I had big dreams, but I, I was what I called an empty dreamer. Mm. So I had big dreams, but I was not doing anything to actually make them come true. And I then managed to convince this young Greek girl from England that I was <laughs> actually going to do these things and told her father that I was going to make his daughter rich one day. And he didn't believe me. Uh, and then I realized, whoa, I'm not doing any of the things I would need to do to actually make that come true. And I remember thinking this was the exact thing. I thought I now have a witness to my crimes. Wow. And so when I lay in bed, there's a witness, there's somebody else whose life now is worse because I'm laying in bed. And that really made me feel badly about myself. And it ended up being the greatest thing of all time. Because that got me up and it got me going. And once I realized, oh, this is what's been missing this whole time. I have to take the steps. I have to do the thing. And now I'm getting better and better and better, but I have to just keep pushing myself. And once I realized, oh my God, like the human is the ultimate adaptation machine, but I have to put myself in an, in an adapt or die situation, push myself to learn, to make use of it, to stay curious, which I've heard you talk about. And if I do that, oh my God, on a long enough timeline, and I became obsessed with this idea, on a long enough timeline, I can beat anyone at anything because life is a game of attrition mm. and most people will quit and I won't. It's absolutely true. And just looping around that, the, another thing that I say, which I hope this will give people listening to this particular episode, some solace. I can be laughed at longer than the average person. That's my superpower. Like I'm not afraid to look dumb ever. And I'm not afraid that I will make mistakes and I legitimately will embarrass myself and it will actually hurt my credibility. And I'll have been here on social media, fucking screaming from the rooftops, what I'm doing and something's not going to go well. And people are going to point and they're going to laugh and it's going to hurt. And in that moment, it's either crumble or just keep going internally laughing, knowing on a long enough timeline, I'm going to beat all of the people laughing at me because I just don't stop. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I'm I'm toying around with this idea right now that now I've heard you say it and two other people I know that are really successful and I feel the same, which is that I also think there is a superpower in a partner. And Facts. in this day and age, there's a lot of people who are alone who want to swipe left and right nonstop and who are looking for an idea deal before bettering themselves. And man, every time I feel like there's difficulty in my life, extreme difficulty, having a partner that I know can weather the storm with me is an absolute game changer. And I have a feeling that, you know, I don't know, let's check in again when we're all 80 and see where we're at. But I have a feeling that that, um, that second hand, second set of hands is something that's missing in a lot of this generation. Like they feel isolated, they feel alone, they feel like there's nobody that has their back. And that might be because they need to choose a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and I never used to think that, but I was in a bad partnership before. 
And there's also nothing worse than that. And so now having somebody where when something's going wrong, I do, I think about what would Chris think about my actions in this instance? Like, is this how we want to represent ourselves as a family? And those are really powerful feelings to have. And I don't hear enough people talking about them. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough money to like have an affair on the side. I'm like, are you kidding me? I barely got time for this guy. You think I'm gonna have another one? Like, no way. And then on top of that, the type of human that I strive to be does not suffer that. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting, like sort of what we're having in the world happen around us and how little we care about partnerships. And maybe there's a superpower there for the people who choose. And I'm not saying, I mean, who knows? We will be, Chris and I always laugh that we're not interested in like mental or physical polyamory, but maybe, you know, check in again in 30 years, you know? Um, and uh, How long have you guys been married? We've been married uh, three years and together for six and known each other for 25. That's right, you guys went to high school together. Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. That's how long bananas. have you guys been married? Been married 21 years. That's yeah, it's dope. It, so here's the punchline for anybody that's wondering. No amount of success, no amount of money can possibly touch the rewards of a successful romantic partnership. Yeah. Nothing. It It is the greatest joy life has to offer you. Now, I don't have kids. So Even maybe, after 21 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More now than ever. Yeah. Now you have to know how to navigate it. Yeah. And it is it is not the simplest thing, but it is no. the most rewarding. Like it's unbelievable. And there was a great quote. I don't remember who said it, but the people who take the biggest risks have the strongest home life. Ooh, good and one. I remember going home to Lisa and being like, oh my God, that is so true. Because the number of times that both of us have thought, you know, we're doing this thing. It's hugely risky. This could really all fail. Yeah. And because- success, there is no finish line. So despite all my success, I ne I don't feel like, oh, I've made it. I'm on the other side of some magical uh -huh. line and I can never go back. I'm always like, oh, fuck, you're only a small series of bad choices away from being broke. Disaster. And so, yeah, it that feeling, at least for me, has never gone away. And I always think, well, if it goes away, will I still have Lisa? Because if I still have Lisa, I'm good. Yeah. I won't be happy. Like that would be traumatic. Don't get me wrong. But losing Lisa's, Losing Lisa and brain damage. Those are the only two things Ooh. that legitimately scare me. Everything else, I'm like, ah, eh, it wouldn't be fun, but I'll be fine on the other side of it. Losing Lisa would be like, the effect in my life would be the same as if the sun just ceased to exist. And I don't mean in a romantic, like you are my sunshine. I mean, you're the gravitational center of my life yeah. and I will fly off into the ether without you. Like, yeah. because I've been with her since I was in my early twenties. So I legitimately don't know who I would be. Like, I don't know who I would have developed into yeah. had I not been married to her. So yeah. That's it's, incredible. Well, what's interesting amazing. too is like, you know, I have a little peek back here because I was up there chatting with her and we all mm. have friends like, you know, Vanessa that's been friends with her for a long time. And so, you know, we meet a lot of people online, but you can tell. Like when I was up there with you, I was like, oh yeah, I was just down with your wife. That was incredible. You were like, lucky. What were you guys talking about? You were, yeah. you know, it was genuine, which is rare, especially where we are right now. Like what you guys are surrounded by. Yeah, it's interesting. This is just like business though. So you go, okay, there's physics to this situation. Yeah. This thing works in a certain way. And can I figure out how this thing works? And if you can figure out how the thing works, then you can navigate it well. Like, okay, um, 
there are what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse in a relationship. And the most common one is contempt. Yeah. And so we were just like, okay, well then we know avoiding contempt is like one of the most important things that we can do in our relationship. And so I won't derail this conversation on that, but there are like things that you can do. And they're just like daily habits that you make sure that you're constantly keeping the, you know, the marriage tuned up. You understand what you're each good at. So she's far more likely to feel disconnected than I am. Mm. So we never wait for me to feel disconnected. If she says I'm feeling disconnected, then I stop working and I go spend time with her and we just don't violate that. And so it's like, yeah, cool. Because this is, you know, going back to something I've heard you talk a lot about values. You have to know what your values are. And I'm just fearless when it comes to prioritizing. So my wife Mm -hmm. is my number one priority. My business is my second and my family is my third. Now that my family doesn't love that. They don't love that they're in third place, but I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah. So, but Lisa really is my number one and we act accordingly. Now that doesn't mean that she gets as much of my time as the business, but it does mean when the two collide and she says, Hey, I need time. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Just not conflicted. Yeah. It's it's interesting too. We, we kind of practice this thing kind of like you talked about with, um, like realizing how little we actually need. Mm. Like when we go on vacations, for instance, um, we'll usually start at like not a very nice hotel. And then we'll end up in like a sick one, you know? So it's like, like, you know, something, maybe we'll go camping the first night or something. You're doing that on purpose. We didn't do it on purpose. Originally we do it because he likes to go camping and I don't Mm. fucking like to go camping. So I want to go to the Amagiri and he wants to go camping. And so we end what I want and we start where he wants. And then after a while it became kind of a fun game because it was like, we have an incredible, now it sucks if you flip it. Yeah. You start. You never end on the cold shower. No, you You never start on the cold shower. Exactly. But, but it's kind of a fun thing just to realize to your point, if you have those North stars about what really matter, then you can cut out all the stuff that is the reason why most people don't make change in their Mm. life. I mean, when you have nothing and you have nothing to lose, that is the best time to take massive risk. The worst part about as you get better and bigger and more successful is you carry a lot of weight. Right. And so those are the golden handcuffs that people talk about. And usually that's what stops you from taking risk. And I saw it again and again and again in corporate finance. And people would be stuck in these jobs they hated for fucking decades. Yeah. And um, one of the things Chris and I like to practice is like, no, remember how little we need. As long as it's like the two of us, we can camp still. Maybe we can't go to the Gary, but we can. We can survive and actually be really, really happy. Would it be traumatic? Yes. But we can go back to that place where we can continue to take risk. Because for sure, I mean, it'd be a lot safer for both of us to not spend, I'm sure, the amount of money we're spending building these businesses and just keep keep the cash. You know, there are plenty of people that do oh, that. I thought a lot about that <laughs> as I pour millions of dollars into building a video game that could fail. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hyper aware of that. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about something that I think makes you uniquely good because anybody listening to this, if uh, somewhere in their soul, they can feel uh, that you know something still that they don't. You've Mm -hmm. been entirely candid in this conversation. I don't doubt that for one second. I have a quote in here. I want to see if I can find it. Um, There's actually a couple. So I'm going to read uh, a couple quotes from you that I think speak to this thing. So money is the financial Trojan horse I use to get people to start thinking critically. Mm. And that idea of critical thinking is the thing I think that really makes you special, that you understand that clear thinking is more important than just about anything else. And just hearing you teach 
you're very good at like, okay, this is the plan that we said we were going to stick to. We stick to this plan. When we deviate, things go wrong. And you're just like, boom, 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 boom down. I think that that's very important. Uh, here's another one. Everyone wants the hack, be the person who wants the work. Mm. That's, that's money. Um, and then one last one that I think is really interesting, choose being the victor over the victim always. Mm -hmm. And you said that in response to somebody saying, what's it like to be a woman in business? And I was like, the, the, the Brits used to do that like yeah. finger snap thing. I was just like, that's so on point. Like, look, it is, things are going to be harder. Uh, whatever your problem is. Yes. A hundred percent going to be more difficult. It could be uh, your skin color. It could be your gender. It could be your height. It could be whatever, the way you were raised, the fact that you don't know anybody, blah, blah, blah. But if you take that excuse, which is incredibly valid, yep. you won't get anywhere. And so you don't do any of that. Okay. No. So get that in people's heads. There really is something special about the way you approach the world. But there's also, I want to know, what is it that makes you good? Because you have to convince business owners to sell to you. Hmm. How do you do that? Well, on that last point, one really quickly, nobody wants to see Goliath win. Mm. So everything that you think makes you a victim is what will make your story infinitely better when you win. And the so only true. reason we remember David through history is because it was a small man with a slingshot up against a giant that was sure to beat him. And I don't know when in today's world we decided that having difficulties put in front of you meant that you were meant for less. That is such a false narrative. So I just don't ascribe to it. I am very aggressive when people ask me to come speak at like, hey, you know, we want a woman CEO to come to an event. I'm like, okay, I don't know. And, uh, and I just, I say, no, I go, I'm not sure what my vagina has to do with it, <laughs> which really also makes people uncomfortable, which makes me chuckle. Um, you know, I just happen to be born with that. I don't know. Um, and I think it's totally unrelated to running a business. So what are we talking about here? And, um, and I think if more people felt like that, then it would just be zeroed out and you'd realize, man, what an advantage. Like, I hope they don't find out that I'm the only long haired Latina woman at Goldman Sachs that doesn't wear a suit. And so how much easier am I to remember than all Brad's, Chad's, Tom's, and Larry's? Like a lot easier. And so I think it's, it's you're doing yourself a huge service if you choose to label yourself as a victim. Uh, and the moment that you realize that is the moment your life will change. And um, as far as like, how do I get business owners to convince, uh, how can I convince business owners to sell to me? Goes back to asking the right questions. I think in life, if I could leave one thing, one of our taglines is question everything including me, maybe especially me, but question everything. And with business owners, what's fascinating, what's annoying to them is young people coming to them and saying, hey, you know, I want to buy your business. Oh my God, you're doing this and this, and here's what we should do differently. And we're going to put it on Slack and we're going to API into this. It's none of that. You never go to a business owner and you say, here's all the things that I want to do to this poor tragic thing that you've put together and let me lead it from the future. Instead, you come with a lot of empathy like a journalist, and you say, if, if you were a local auto mechanic owner, I would go something like this. I'd go curiosity, empathy, pain pushing, solution giving. So I'd first go, hey, 
Tom, incredible. You've built this place? This is your place? Oh, that's so cool. How long have you been running it? A couple of years. That's awesome. Who's who's here number two? Who's taking over next? Oh, nobody yet. Okay, cool. Like how many people do you get in here? Man, this is a crazy company. Curious, right? I'm just starting to get to know you. I'm not telling you anything about me. I'm just mm-hmm. being a human engaged with you because that's rare. Then two, empathy. Wow, you started this 20 years ago from nothing? Are you kidding? And you built this up to what? Oh my God, how many employees do you have today? Like I'm feeling it with you right? Then once I understand a little bit about your business and I show that I'm empathetic with you, I start to push on the pain. Oh man, 20 years, that's a long time. Like sometimes 20 years is enough, you know? And you're like, fuck yeah, it feels like that on some Tuesdays. I'm like, me too. I used to run this business. You know, uh, the employees are the tough part, right? Yeah, man, I'm looking for a new manager. You know, I'd really like to retire. And you start to push on the pain buttons. Mm -hmm. Now you can't create pain. So you're really only looking for the person that already wants to sell. They just might not know it or they might not want to tell you. Right. And I want to push on the things that could be painful for them so that they realize that I'm here to give them a solution. And then the last thing that we're going to do is solution solving. So then we're going to say, huh, that's incredible. Like you built this huge business. You know, you're kind of ready to go on your next adventure. There's some stuff that's like a little bit overwhelming in this business. Interesting. Gosh, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this, but like, I do buy businesses. Now, I've never bought a a mechanic business locally here, but like I live down the way and actually like I know so-and-so that owns this business up along here too. I buy businesses that kind of sound like they might be in your wheelhouse. Now, I have no idea if we would be like a match for each other at all, but if you're open to it, maybe I could just take a look at what you guys do overall and we could see if at the right price and the right terms, there might be something here for us. Maybe it's months down the road, maybe it's years, but regardless, you'd at least have a valuation for what your business might be worth if you want to sell. I don't know if that might be interesting to you. And usually at that point, they go something like, huh, I don't like, explain to me, what would that look like? And that moment, what would that look like? Explain that to me is the open door. Mm. And that's when you start to figure out, is there a dance here? And then one thing that I make sure that I do is no matter how that engagement goes, I make sure that engagement is a win for them every time. So if that business is awful and I would never want something to do with it, I'd put together a little something for them. I'd be like, okay, so here's how businesses are bought. You know, Here's the, the valuation. Here's like a little industry report on your business. If you ever wanted to sell this one, your business is a little too small for what I typically buy, but I actually could maybe make some intros to some other people if you were seriously thinking about it, or we could like touch base in a few months. I'm happy to be a resource for you. I want them to feel good about it every time because what happens? Business owners all talk to other business owners because we're all getting punched in the face together. And so they might not be your seller, but the next guy might be your seller or gal. And so that's the, that's the way it goes. You just start with curiosity, empathy, pain pushing, solution solving. Mm. And you do it again and again and again until you find your Cinderella shoe. If you're someone who loves a perfectly cooked steak and wants to get that flawless sear and delicious crust at home, then you have to check out this grill everybody's talking about the Schwank Grill. It uses the exact same infrared technology that top steakhouses around the world use to get that golden brown crust on the outside and that tender juiciness on the inside. Just recording this makes me want to go make one. This portable outdoor Schwank Grill heats up to 1,500 degrees, allowing you to grill the juiciest steak you ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Plus, cooked chicken wings, hamburgers, lobster tails, salmon, even pizza, and more in just minutes. And the Schwank Grill is made in the USA and is portable so you can use it camping, tailgating, and in your own backyard. This is truly 
the future of grilling. Just visit schwankgrills.com and use promo code IMPACT to get $150 off a Schwank grill. That's Schwank, baby. S-C-H-W-A-N-K grills.com and use code IMPACT and get $150 off a Schwank grill. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation, and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, with exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. And how do you go about like, what's the ratio of number of pitches mm. to deals closed? Like, I know in real estate, that's a big thing. You have to have bird dogs that are out there. Like, how do you get the deal flow? So I don't do it. I've never been a cold collie mass volume type of gal. I hate that game. I'm much more a, I connect with humans one-on-one and I get to know them. And usually they'll either take me somewhere is in the form of a referral or something with them. So if I was to do this, I do something called a personal P&L review, which basically means I mean, you could do the same thing, probably have, but you look at all the things you spend money on both personally and your business. And it's really easy for business owners. If there's any business owners listening, you should pay attention. In your business, you spend money on, I don't know, ads. You might have a vendor that does ads for you. You might have a vendor that does events for you. You might have a vendor that does um, studio setup and takedown. Everything that is a liability or cost me money on a monthly basis or an annual basis, I note. And then I look for three things. I look for, can I get to the owner of the business, aka Jeff Bezos, probably not going to sell to me, also couldn't afford it. Uh, Is the business interesting to me that I might actually want to own it? Like I probably don't want to own an accounting business, for instance, for liability reasons. Um, But I might want to own an ad agency or at least part of it. And then the third aspect of it is, is this a, a business 
uh, owner that is aligned with my target demographic of a seller. So if I want to buy the business outright, it needs to be an owner that wants to sell, not a growth-minded owner. Like you're not looking for a young gun that's cruising right now. You're looking for somebody who's probably a little bit older and ready to exit. And on the other hand, if you just want a part of the business, especially like you, Tom Billyu, if you're like, huh, like I actually want a young owner because I just want to own 30% of that business for the cash flow. And I want a young gun that's going to grow it. But if I mention my vendors for this on my podcast once, I'm going to 5X this business. So why don't you give me 30% of the company for the upside that I'm going to give? And we're basically just going to wipe out one of the costs on my bottom line. And so, um, and usually you can, you can do those type of deals like revenue share, profit shares, what equity deals with, you know, one of three things. You either bring them more revenue or profits. So increase revenue. You can decrease costs. So help them cut centers of costs in the business, or you can operationalize the business. You could take away pain from the owner. Like, oh man, you know, you don't have any systems in here. What about, um, you know, putting SOPs? What if we put EOS over your business? Um, business owners usually feel pain when they're not operationally aligned, when they have too many costs, or when they're not bringing in enough cash. And so for any of those three things, you could buy a business for theoretically $0. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you talked about money, sweat equity. Does money and sweat equity, do they match out or is one more valuable than the other? Well, I talk about the get rich tripod, which is basically this. You have no excuse to not buy a business. If you say, I don't have money, it's not an excuse. If you say, I don't have time, that's not an excuse. If you say, I don't have experience, that's not an excuse. Now, might be a reason why not to because you don't want to. That's cool. But any of those three things shouldn't stop you. And here's the reason why. Because buying a business is like a tripod. So you have three legs to the stand. Money is your highest leverage leg, right? Because it's not finite like time is. So if you have money, you always want to put money into a deal because Tom's time is actually worth way more than your dollars. Mm. And so for most people who have money, it's much more expensive to get an hour of Jeff Bezos's time than $100,000 from Jeff Bezos. One's not equally weighted. So I always try to use money if I can first in a deal because I don't want my time involved unless I have experience, which allows me to be a better deal maker. And then I don't even have to use money because, and I don't have to use my time because I really have experience that this company wants, or I have experience at deal structuring. So let's say, for instance, I'm an accountant. I have a friend who has cash. I have another friend who has time, like they want to operate a business. And I have the experience of running an accounting firm before or being an accountant. I might be able to get access to a deal for zero dollars because I just have knowledge that they don't. I could consult on it. I could be a part of the business in some way, but my experience could be an option. And then the third is if you don't have experience and you don't have money, you have time. That's pure sweat equity. So this is basically what venture capital does. Like venture capitalists say, I have billions of dollars. You go take the pain of face kicking on a startup. I will give you capital and you will pay me a return based on my capital at some point paired with your time. And uh, and so that's what you can do if you have neither of the two. So there are people every day that I hire and get equity in my businesses because they operate them. There are people every day that I hire and get an equity in my businesses because they have experience. And then right now I'm the only money in my businesses. But uh, theoretically, if people build funds like Ray Dalio's, he just uses other people's money. Right. Okay. People have gone on this crazy journey with us. Um, they really are edging towards sovereignty. 
yeah. owning their own life, being able to control themselves. Why does that matter? What's that? I hear mm. you talk. I almost never hear people use the word sovereignty, mm. but you talk about it a lot. I really should use more like, uh, you know, 25 cent words, I think. I think sovereignty is the right word. <laughs> it's just irreplaceable. Um, you know, sovereignty in my mind is the ability to be a self-providing island in a world of humans that need connection in order to survive. Mm. And I think money is one of the fastest ways to get to sovereignty because it allows you to build resources, power, tools, and time, basically. And so, you know, one of the reasons that I'm obsessed with this mission of skin in the game and people becoming owners is because I think that we are giving away our sovereignty. And we really saw it over the last couple of years in many instances. I was like you. I believed in no conspiracy theories. I kind of thought they were all crazy. And this is not political. I think both the left and right are nuts. Um, but what I realized is very few humans had decision making power because they didn't have enough cash to sustain themselves to make difficult decisions one way or the other. And they didn't have enough cash to have the willpower to say something one way or the other. And I just saw it. I saw it for the first time ever. And I realized the people who were actually sovereign were those who had built up uh, assets, which really like form the modern day sword and shield. And so that's why I'm obsessed with financial freedom, because I think you need to be healthy, which is really important to your mission. Bank account doesn't really matter if you don't have your health yeah. and you need to be able to think critically in order to make the right decisions at the right time for yourself. But even if you're healthy and you can think critically, but you don't have assets in this world, I think you're in trouble because people will push upon your sovereignty continuously and your only pushback is zeros. And I think it's the only international language that everybody speaks in this day and age. Now, maybe it won't always be that way. But I do believe that it is that way today. Yeah. I'm going to guess that it's always going to be that way. I don't see a way around it. Yeah. Um, so given the importance of being able to think critically, given the fact that you you have named your company about not conforming to anybody else's way of thought, yeah. do you have a method for thinking critically? Yeah. I mean, the only method that I have is to to follow the greats. Like we just launched this Instagram account actually today. And the reason why is because- What's the account? It's called Contrarian Thinking. We're really an original around here. You know, also I'm terrible at naming companies. Like, could there be more vowels in that company? I can barely spell Contrarian. Um, anyway, the the we launched this account because- I did money first, like the Trojan horse, like we were talking about, because I started in 2020 st talking about contrarian thinking. Like, let's think for ourselves. Let's look at these problems happening in the world today. What's going on? Like, can we can we have debates about this? Let's let the ideas compete. And basically, people are like, I think great. What's going on up here? It's awesome. And I'm right about most things. Because people don't really want to question their own thinking. We want to question everybody else's. And we never want to go, huh, idea in my head. Do I actually believe you? Cognitive dissonance is hard. And so we started with money. We got a lot of people hyped about money. And now I realize it's shallow and we want to make sure we go deep too. And I think the next step is we go to the greats who are contrarians at huge personal risk to themselves. Mm. And kind of have this idea, which I've never really talked about before, but you know how Ryan Holiday did really normalize stoicism? Mm. This method of thinking that like basically was, can you be sort of the, the calm in the storm despite what's going on? And 
I think contrarian thinking is never going to be stoicism in, in an ism perspective, but it might not be enough to be a calm in a storm. We might also have to add like a pushback to the wave. And so the idea is we put together some of the top 150 contrarian thinkers who paid prices for ideas that turned out to be true. Do you have anybody off the top of your head? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, taught, you know, tons of them. I have like, you know, you have uh, Aristotle, you have Plato, you have uh, Marie Curie, you mm. have um, you have Confucius, you have, um, uh, oh, my gosh, the world is not flat. It is round. Um Galileo? Uh, was that Galileo? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He, we just I'm pretty sure Galileo was the one that got, can we, let's look it yeah. up. Is it Galileo? <laughs> uh, okay, we'll find out. Um, tell us how smart we are or not, how cultured. Um, and so, <sighs> so we put together this list and then there's like Christopher Hitchens, who's a perf, like a mm, personal favorite of mine, letters yeah, yeah. to young contrarians. He's fascinating to me because he changed his mind like four times on life altering, altering decisions. He was a, communist really atheist hmm. and then by the end of his life he was a capitalist christian really i yeah. don't know his story well yeah it's actually a fascinating story um letters to young contrarians is an interesting book to read a fast one but i also like going through and reading some of his quotes because they really punch you in the gut hmm. um and so i like humans he obviously questioned his own thinking multiple times and towards the end of his life he had to go back and say half the things that he thought were true turns out they're not backed by facts. Thomas Sowell is another contrarian thinker, basically eradicated from the history of the yeah. great economists because his ideas were not politically correct. Yeah, he's amazing though. Um, he's amazing. Yeah. And so that is the only way that I know to get better is like, can I go to people who have had these ideas before and then can I try to backtrack mm. the way that they think? Do you know Churchill much? Besides reading his biography, but I think he would be another good He's one. He's hyper contrarian. Yeah, yeah. Hyper contrarian. Yeah. That's one of the things I find so interesting is, man, talk about somebody who paid a price for his opinions and he just could not help himself. Like pathologically, he said, I'm always going to say what I think is true, no matter what the price is. Yeah, that's a good that's one. That's impressive. And then he did it and ends up still becoming prime minister. But there were times where he for sure thought, oh, I'm done in politics. Yeah. I'll never make it now because I just had to say this thing that I thought was true. And then obviously he's banging on about Hitler from like day one. Guys, he's a problem. He's a problem. I'm telling you, like this guy is going to be a disaster. He's built, he's going for war. I'm telling you, he's going to invade. And everyone's like, oh, Jesus, here is Churchill again. Just would not shut up about this guy. Yep. And people were saying like, I don't know, like Hitler seems like a nice enough guy. And he's like, what the fuck? Like this guy's a psychopath. No one would listen. He invades and obviously the rest is history. But it it is very impressive. It is so easy to just nod and smile when it would be very uncomfortable to push back. It's very easy. I have a lot of admiration for people who don't. You know what I thought was interesting about Churchill too that I didn't know was that he refused to meet, meet Hitler. Did yeah. you read about like, and and I, I never thought about that because a lot of times, like some of the big podcasters today, for instance, will say, you know, who should we have on a podcast one way or the other? Mm. And um, I always have sort of had the mindset of, well, just anybody that you want to, curiously talk to them about their ideas. And then I remember reading that story about Churchill, how he wouldn't meet with Hitler because he thought that the more you met with a person, the more human you could see in them and it would cloud your thinking about- That's interesting. 
Well, the bad news is he did meet with Mussolini. Yeah, he did meet. And, and, and for years had a photo of Mussolini, like a signed photo of Mussolini in his house or his office. Oh, that's good. And then it was like, oh, whoops. It's like, you know, you, you put the photo down real quick. Huh. No perfect so, humans. Yeah, no. I, sure. I mean, look, you to be the when I agree to have a guest on, it's yeah. like you do some vetting for sure, but you yeah. can only do so much. Yeah. Plus, yeah, I don't know. I'm not weird about platforming people yeah my thing is do they have something useful yeah and if they're saying something crazy do you push back and say that's crazy now no one is going to be perfect i'm sure there are things that i wish i'd push back on and the worst part is when somebody clips something out and they say something crazy and you're like but but if you look at the greater context like (laughs) that was in the middle of something and like by the time he was finished with the thing it's like yeah we'd moved on past that anyway it it is uh, a risk of the job but yeah. yeah. Contrarian do you, thinkers. Do important. you bring on people that you know you're going to disagree with? Like to poke? I do now. I didn't for a very long time. Yeah. So the show has gone through three very distinct phases and mm-hmm. it's only been in phase three where I'm like, I will actively bring somebody on if I think that we can have a good faith conversation yeah. about something. And then it's like, and I do really weigh a lot. Like, how far do I stray? How far do I ask my audience to go with me on the journey of empowerment? To me, until Ooh. you are fully sovereign, you are not empowered. Yeah. But phase one, where it was just like, think like this, act like this. People loved it. They celebrated me. I did like, they were sort of albums of me, like doing these really inspirational riffs. Yeah. We'd put music to it. And it was like, that was a lot of fun. I had a great time. And then- it just got to the point where I'd be interviewing somebody and I'm like, half of what you're saying is bullshit. And so we'd film for an hour and a half and release a 30 minute episode. Cause I'm like, yeah. So I, rather than confront them, I'd just be like, well, we're going to cut that out. We're going to cut that out Yeah. because I like to get along. I don't, yeah. you invite someone on your show and then you're going to like, uh, yeah, it's it tough. Just, it, I didn't like it. Yeah. And then I started to feel like a coward. Mm-hmm. And so when 2020 kicked off and all hell broke loose, I felt like a coward. And so I had Jordan Peterson in my ear being like, all it takes for evil to win is for good men to remain silent. So I'm like, oh God, am I going to start talking about this shit? And so I thought, okay, yep. Don't be a coward. Say what you think. And so I started saying what I thought. And then it became for a while, our views really went down. And then, oh. then they, cause you have to build the new audience. And then they started going up and we were bigger than ever. And then I changed again and we went down again. And now we're bigger than ever again. So it's like the audience keeps rewarding me on a long enough timeline. Ooh. But, uh, yeah. So it, it is very difficult to try to always see things through that lens yeah. to, to, help other people see what I see. I'm not super good at that. So it takes me a lot of time to be able to say simply in a single sentence, like this is my thesis. These, this is how these things connect. But so I'm working on that now, but it's, as I said to my team, uh, you either lose me as a host or we figure out a way to expand who we can have on the show because otherwise I just get bored. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's one of my biggest fears about talking or about doing a mm. podcast is I think the you get, you lose tolerance for shallow conversation or bullshit really. Yeah. And you don't want to be rude. Cause there's like, it's one thing if you're like, Oh no, intellectually let's debate. Cause right. there's something interesting there and I disagree and let's go. And there's something else with this is, it's not going to be fair or it's just going to be mean. Right. And so what's the point in going at somebody? Mm-hmm. I've never really liked that. It'll get, so it has gotten more fun for me. And part of it is, okay, now the audience knows 
that I am going to push back when I disagree. In yeah. phase one, it would have been so jarring. I remember we actually didn't release an episode. I don't know if I've ever talked about this before. So the when I decided, okay, I'm going to start pushing back on people, we had somebody come on the show who's very what I'll call woo-woo. Oh, yeah. I don't have a fucking woo-woo bone in my body. And so we started getting into it. Now, yeah. I felt I was being very respectful. And I was only saying what I believed and I was leaving space, but like I disagreed with his, with his ideas and he disagreed with mine. Yeah. So we were like going back and forth and it was like getting pretty intense. You could tell he had never been disagreed with before. Oh, wow. He was so used to people being like, yeah, manifestation is real. And I was just like, I don't see how that works. And like, let me lay it out. And so then it got religious. And so I was like, well, so I can understand your position, which is curiosity right so i'm i'm not attacking you yeah i just want to map yeah. what you think is true but dude one thing i have learned if you make people say in a single sentence what they believe and you don't let them dance around and use flowery words and you're just like are you saying this you can make them extremely uncomfortable interesting it's fascinating so that interview i was like okay to my team i was like I don't know if that was amazing or if that was trash. And they said the whole fucking company was gathered around the monitor because we did it live. So like this, where we've got somebody editing. So the, it used to be in a totally different room. The whole company was around the computer watching because they'd only ever seen me do phase one interviews. Fascinating. And so they were like, what the fuck is happening? And so we ended up not launching it because it, I guess I came across a little aggressive. <laughs> so we ended up not... That's wild. Yeah. Well, I live in Austin, land of the woo-woo, so I've I've heard it all. Are they woo? Oh my god. Austin? To the maximum. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, we we were at part of this one gym, shout out Squatch. Um there's actually like there was an Instagram channel about like overheard in Austin or something or maybe it was Twitter. But yeah, I mean, I would be in the sauna and I eventually just told my husband, I'm like, we got to stop going there. I was like, everybody's really nice, but we're in the sauna and I'm like, oh, what's going on with Cody? She's like, I'm rainbow. I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, true story. And, uh, and I'm like, that's cool, man. You know, great. And somebody else walks in. It's it's her dude. And I'm like, you know, how are you guys? What's going on? I don't know, I'm being normal, I think. And they're like, you know, great. And and I didn't know this stuff then, but they had like the the marks from like the toad. You can like you you, you... like DMT. No, I think it's called Bufo. Bufo. Oh yeah, gonna... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know of it. I've never done so, it. Yeah. So no, no. It leaves marks on you. Yeah, it's like little burns and circles. And so I was like, oh man, what happened there? What's that? And he starts to explain it. And then they start to tell me that they live at a um a female coven. Uh, that is located in Austin, that uh, she is the, God, what was the word? I wish I could remember this. She was the, not the goddess, but something equally cringe. Uh -huh. of. So she was in charge of the coven wow. of witches that he lived in. And, um, and I remember just sitting there thinking, this is fascinating. And also, I wish I had something to sell you guys, because I bet you would buy it. <laughs> like, this is incredible. And so that's Austin, basically, today. Wow. Yeah, it is I did to the not max. Even more so than LA. You guys had witches. Yeah, oh yeah, the whole the whole thing. Interesting. Last time I was in uh actually what's that fancy no, it wasn't it's was one of the main streets in Hollywood or Venice. And there's a there's like a crystal store there. You've mm -hmm. probably been. You seem like a crystal guy. I'm going to crystal stores. Uh, <laughs> as as a matter of course. <laughs> and I remember we were walking by and they had a like a you know crystal all crystals being sold sale so i yeah. walked in and i was like oh business is tough huh like going out of sale 
nobody has money to buy crystals. And they're like, oh, no, we're getting a bigger store, that one across the way, like two times the size. Wow. And I was like, yeah, no. Wow. You know, explains it. Yeah. Yeah, not your serum. people. So I shouldn't send you a crystal next you time. You probably shouldn't send okay, me a crystal. Fine. It's very sweet. And I appreciate the thought. <laughs> and it's very generous. But I, yes, I will not be wearing crystals or putting them under my pillow or anything like that. But it is fun. So here's what I try to do, because I actually don't like being a dick. That's not my personality at all. So I'm always like with genuine curiosity, yeah. I want to understand what do you think is happening? Like, is it that there's something going on at the quantum level that we don't understand and it's yeah. imbued in these crystals or what? Uh, but that's where people tend to derail when you make them say it in very succinct ways. Yeah. And then I have a special place in my heart for people who use quantum to mean magic. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with it. Like if, if you do that, you will not be a guest on this show. I can't do it. Uh, I, I think it's amazing. It. I actually find the whole thing fascinating because it's just such a, like, have you watched that show? It's like how to build a cult or something like that. How to no. become a cult leader. This is amazing. Uh, and I, I think it's really interesting that we humans, I do think we're in search of purpose at all times. And so you can either determine your own or you can be given it. And um, and I think in this day and age, there's so many people that want purpose so very bad mm -hmm. that they will turn to things that seem like they give them purpose. And so I do think it's something, it's a slippery slope. Um, I'm maybe a little bit judgy about that, um, just that. I think you should determine your own purpose and it's probably not in, you know, feathered caps and crystal necklaces, but you know, that's, that's just me. Yeah. So how do you determine your purpose? I think it's, I think, you know, I go back again and again to the best advice is the advice you give yourself. And I think most people know deep inside, if they were to spend some time with themselves, if they were to stop distracting themselves, if they were to stop medicating themselves and spend some time in the awful place that is just you in front of the mirror, mm. then I think you actually often find exactly what you're looking for. And most people just aren't willing to look at the mirror. And I was one of those people for a long time too. I mean, I was in corporate America for like 12 or 13 years living other people's dreams. And it took me really spending some time by myself to realize, man, like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I really think for most humans, it's you got to start knowing yourself. And that was the secret that was told to us a billion years ago uh, by an oracle, actually, to come full circle, you know? And uh, and so I think if you're lost, like you probably have more answers than you think. Listen to podcasts like this so you can believe in yourself a little bit more, but just start paying more attention to yourself because it's hard to hide. You know, once you feel the sense of purpose, you can't let it go. Like it becomes an obsession and watch out everything else. But most people cover it up. This has been amazing. Cody Same. Sanchez, where can people find you? Cody Sanchez on all the socials and contrarian thinking for the newsletter. I love it. Every bit of it is amazing. I assure you, I've spent much time in her world. I highly encourage you guys, if you really want to execute, there is no better place. Speaking of no better place, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.